The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. Please take your Bibles to James chapter 1. You're going to pick it up at verse 6. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 26 and 27. And when you find it, please stand. James 1, verses 26 and 27. James 1, 26 and 27. If any man, if any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. But pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to be here and be able to preach your word. Lord, I pray for our pastor and his wife. Pray that you will bring him back safe and sound. Pray that Pam will get some relief from her illness. So pray, Lord, for the different people that take part in this ministry, making sure that your word continues to go out. Lord, I pray for our missionaries overseas. Pray that you will give them fruit for their labors. Also pray that those of us who support these people, Lord, will be faithful making sure that all that is needed to be done gets done. Father, I pray for anyone who is here today that doesn't know you as Savior, that today will be that day when they begin a new life in Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Like I said, one of the things that makes it hard to preach from the book of James is, is the application. Knowing what applies to whom and where in your Bible requires time to study. And, you know, time is one of those things that nobody seems to have anymore. You know, everybody's busy doing a million things, and, and we just don't have time to study the Bible. But your Bible has many divisions, and understanding these divisions will help you understand your Bible better. Second Timothy 2.15 reads, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Like I said, knowing what applies where and to whom is, is difficult sometimes. And you need to study. There are many things in the Bible that just don't apply to you and me in this dispensation of time. We're in this dispensation of grace. And, and many of the things that people did in the Old Testament just do not apply to you and I today. In this dispensation, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ and nothing else. People in the Old Testament had to bring an animal sacrifice every, every time they went to the house of the Lord to worship. We don't have anyone out there inspecting animals as they come in. People in the Old Testament had to keep a very strict diet. We don't do that anymore. If you like fresh roadkill, pick it up, take it home and help yourself. No problem. You know? People in the Old Testament had to make a very strict distinction between males and females. You know, the women had to look like women and the men had to look like men. But nowadays, you know, sometimes you meet people that you can't tell what you're looking at, you know. 
But not that long ago, when you spent a few minutes with someone that you couldn't tell what it was, you knew right away when they spoke. Now you can spend hours talking to them. You still don't know what you're looking at. You know, it's crazy. But the system of worship in the, in, in the Old Testament was faith and works. And that system will be introduced again during the tribulation. You know, then will be faith and works again. And then that phrase that we, found in, that we find in Matthew twenty four thirteen will apply. You know, he who endures until the end will be saved. But that's for them, not now. So the book of James is, is a practical book. And it's addressed to the physical Israelites from the 12 tribes in the tribulation. We don't know who those 12 tribes are right now. Nobody knows where they are, but God knows where they are. And one of these days, he's going to bring them back and put it all together. Every verse in your Bible has three applications. And this is why you can preach from any book in the Bible. Just make sure that you don't force a verse or text in the wrong place. But every verse in your Bible has three applications. That is historical application, doctrinal application, and spiritual application. And you can always find something to preach on from the Bible, from any book. Today we're going to look at a little bit of doctrine and a little bit of history. The word religion or religious only appears seven times in your Bible. And that seems a little strange for a book that is, is generally recognized for most people as a very religious book. When you go to a bookstore looking to buy a Bible, you find it in the religious section. And yet your Bible has nothing to do with religion. Five of the seven times the word religion or religious are mentioned in the Bible are negative. That should tell you something. I'll give you the, 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 the passages if you want to keep track of this. Acts 13.43 is positive. Acts 26.5 is negative. Galatians 1.13 is negative. Galatians 1.14 is negative. And three times in our text today, one is positive and two are negative. Most lost people, when you try to witness to them, they will tell you, they will tell you that they are spiritual and religious. But when you pin them down and you ask them, can you explain what you mean by that? They have no clue. They couldn't explain it. Man in his sinful condition is always trying to get around the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ himself said that any man who tries to go around him is a thief and a robber. John 10 verse 1. Religion is what man tries to do to justify himself. You know, tic-tac-toe, get three in a row, Hail Mary full of grapes, all that kind of thing. Those prayers won't get you anywhere. You're wasting your time praying like that. Salvation is what Christ gives to worthless sinners who have no righteousness of their own. Whenever you add or take away from the Bible... You're making God a liar. And the one thing that is absolute is the truth of God's word. You cannot change it. You will never change. John fourteen six reads, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
So Christianity, by definition, is very exclusive, unlike anything out there. Religion does exactly what God doesn't want you to do. Religion will make you a slave to sin. It will control you. It will keep you in bondage. Any religion doesn't make any difference which one you choose. They all do the same thing. So clearly the Bible, the Bible doesn't emphasize religion. So then the question is, what is it that the Bible emphasizes? There are many themes in the Bible, but today we're going to focus on one. Philippians 3, 7 to 10 points to a relationship that is unlike any relationship out there or that is known to men. And Paul wanted to know everything there is to know about Christ, even his suffering. So I need you to take your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. And we'll pick it up at verse 7. Philippians 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yeah, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count him but dung, that I may, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being, conf- being made conformable unto his death. When you study the life of Paul, you learn that he sometimes sounded like he was a suicidal man and completely unconcerned about his own safety. But that is because he had his mind made up and he was determined to glorify God even in his sufferings and eventually in his death. Colossians 3 and verse 2 reads, Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Many of us Christians fail in our walk with the Lord because we operate in the gray areas of life. You know, we always think that it's okay to do this. To do this. God, God will, will understand. And all we do when we do things like that is we try to justify the flesh. And when you find a heathen who gets involved in a religious, religious system that makes him feel good, he will die there. There's nothing you can do to convince him that he, what he's doing is not right. Even if the truth contradicts what he believes, he'll never get out. All religious, religious systems are man-made, and Christianity has nothing to do with religion. But the only way to understand this relationship is to have a different mindset. God will give you the wisdom at the moment of salvation to see things different. And there's no way, if you are a, a say, born-again person, there's no way that you can see the world the way you used to. In Philippians 3, verse 5, Paul talks about his credentials. A true Jew, a Hebrew of the Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin, an expert in the law, and no doubt very smart, highly educated. But with all that going for him, he said that he counted all his accomplishments as one big pile of manure. 
didn't count for anything. This relationship thing is explained in a wide range of analogies in the Bible. So we're going to consider a few here. I have titled this message, Religion versus Relation. We'll talk about relation first, and then we'll talk about religion. So point number one, the first one is a father. Everyone is familiar with a father. You know, it's difficult to believe, but there are some people that can't make the connection. or They don't know what it's like to have the love and affection of a father. The Bible even has a model prayer in Luke 11, verses 1, 2, and 3, and Matthew 6, 9 through 15, that tells us how to pray to our Heavenly Father. This is the prayer that millions of people pray every Sunday around the world without knowing what they're talking about. That is because they don't have a personal relationship with God the Father. Sadly, some of these people think that the man wearing an old lady's dress backwards with a funny-looking hat, they think that that's the father. That's not the father. You, you never pray to that father. The guy looks like he's wearing a Halloween costume, but that's not the father. I can tell you that. The Bible makes it clear that you are not to call a man, any man, your father. Matthew 23, verse 9 says, And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. You know, it's, it's never the father's, it is never the father who turns his back on a relationship. Jesus told the religious people of his time that they were evil. And even though they were evil, they knew how to give good things to their children. You ever seen wicked people do good things for their family? They all do. So how much more than the, the Heavenly Father, which is in heaven, knows how to give good things to those who ask him? And that fact, being true, throws, throws everything into a different light. A good example would be the, the prodigal son. You know, according to our way of thinking, that boy didn't deserve anything. But according to our Heavenly Father, because he repented, and the Bible said that he came to his senses, he went back to the Father's house and he was welcomed back into the family. God is by nature good and compassionate, and he has never left humanity without a roadmap to find his way back. That Bible that you're holding on your hands is the kiss of God on a lost and dying world. But the tragedy of the days we're living in is the ignorance of God's word. If the only way to know Jesus Christ is by knowing what is written in that book, and if what is written in that book is indeed the word of God, can you think of anything more valuable? And yet we neglect it every day. A strong relationship with Christ can only be established by learning who he is and what it is that he requires of you. And this is what makes the difference between relation and religion. Talking about him 
and even acknowledging that he is Christ, the Savior of mankind, doesn't mean anything. James 2, verse 19 reads, Thou believest that there is one God that doeth well. The devils also believe and tremble. You know, the devils are smarter than people. They know when they hear the name of Christ, they tremble. So the next time you find someone who tells you that they are a spiritual and religion, tell them. Satan and all his minions are spiritual and very religious. And they are all going to hell. Point number two is a mother. Galatians 4.26 reads, But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Heaven is the home of God and the saints. Heaven is your future home if you are saved. Jerusalem is going to be the capital of the universe someday. That's the new Jerusalem, not the one we're looking at right now. And the Bible compares it to a mother. The relationship between a mother and her children is one of the most, the most tender, caring, and unique relations of all the relations in the world. You know, I don't care how old you are, you still remember your mother. Most children who have a good relationship with their parents feel much more comfortable talking to their mother when they have a problem than they do with their father. And that is, that is because, by nature, mothers are more tender than men. You know, we just, we're mechanical. We like to get things done. Point number three is the relationship between brothers. Does Jesus Christ consider us brothers? Will, you, will your brother cover your back if you get in trouble, if he can help you? Jesus Christ, our brother, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's comforting to me. He is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. You imagine watching, walking around with a lion next to you who is your friend? That will be intimidating for anybody who wants to hurt you. But of course, for this relationship to be tested, you may have to put yourself at risk. The three Hebrew children were at risk when they refused to worship the image. Your faith will give you freedom, but faith can only be seen when it's put to the test. You know, I don't believe that we have been put to the test yet. It'll come. It's coming. Real freedom comes when you have nothing and no one to rely on. And people who have never suffered, who have never gone through a hardship, they find it difficult to believe that God can do great things. When the three Hebrew children were told that they were going to be burned alive, they were ready to be put to the ultimate test. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, the king inquired how many men did we put in the fire furnace? And he was told we put in three. And then he said, I see four loose walking around in the middle of the fire, and they have not hurt. And the fourth one is like the Son of God. You know that little phrase at the end of verse 25? And the fourth one is like the Son of God has been changed on Bible versions. Except for the New King James, 
which by the way, there's no such a thing. The new verses read, and the fourth one is like the son of one of the gods. Okay, that's, that's corrupting the scriptures. Jehovah Witnesses insist that Jesus Christ is not God manifest in the flesh. Denying the deity of Christ will put you, uh, I'm sorry, denying the deity of Christ and putting him in the category of any pagan god will put you in the fires of hell. Me, personally, I have no respect for people who are in the business of producing new Bibles who mess with God's word. I just don't have any respect for those people. You can't miss this one, but somehow the Bible scholars missed it. But it's like the saying goes, if the thing doesn't make sense, somebody has a bug hiding there somewhere. This was the pre-incarnate Lord, Jesus Christ, who came down not only to protect the faithful children who would not deny his name, but also to show the wicked king and all his people that he was able to deliver them. You know, it is possible to increase your faith to the point that you will be able and willing to endure anything. There's some books out there you can read that will make you feel like a very wimpy person, you know, when you, have, when you learn about church history and what people have, have been through. We have it so good in here. We call it, we call, I call this couch church. You know, you're so relaxed. We got it so easy. But that is only possible by developing a very strong relationship with Christ. We are fast approaching the time when Christians are going to be put to the test. And I can assure you that only true Christians are going to endure. Fake Christians are going to run away and hide, just like bugs do when you shine a spotlight on them. Neglecting your church and your personal growth in the knowledge of God can be seen in Christians who have no problem putting priority on worldly things and giving our God their leftovers. How much time you spend in your Bible is reflected in your walk with the Lord. You know, being faithful in your local church is a strong testimony that you love the Lord. But not being here, you show that you don't care about your local church. If you indeed are a child of God, God will use his word to bring you under conviction. But if you never spend time in the book, you will never be convicted of anything. Point number four is a bride. Ephesians 5 and verse 25 reads, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, the, the relationship between husband and wife is the most personal and intimate of all relationships. And it's so valuable that God compares it to the church. The institution of marriage is the only institution that is based on a relationship that has three very important ingredients. That's love, trust, and commitment. Marriage is an institution that requires only one vote to destroy it. When a husband or a wife fails to love, trust, and keep his or her commitment to the marriage, you can be sure that that marriage is going to fall apart. The relationship between a husband and a wife is a picture of Christ and his church. Why should, a wife, why should we, the church, submit to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ? 
the answer is obvious, you know. He demonstrated how much he loved his church, that he died for her. The same applied to a marriage. You know, no wife will refuse to submit to her husband. If that husband is loving, caring, a good provider, always looking out for what is best for his wife, and yes, willing to die for her if necessary. When you consider this, you understand that the idea of marriage was God's idea. Destroying your marriage destroying the, destroys the family. You destroy the family, you destroy society. The success of every marriage is based on love, commitment, and trusting that God will provide the wisdom that is needed when the struggles of life come. They always do. The husband has the responsibility to care for his wife, not only physically, but spiritually. Is the, the man of the house responsible to make sure that his children are being raised in the fear and knowledge of God, not the wife? He needs to set the example for the family to follow. Our Lord Jesus Christ has done that. You know, God set this up so perfectly that there is no way around it. I did a little bit, a little bit of digging in this to find out how it is that we got our last names. I don't know if you ever thought about that. One of the great things about studying a sermon is that you are forced to study and you learn things that you never think that you will learn. So I went out to do some digging, and I wanted to know how it is that people got last names, how, how that idea came about. And you know, it's, it's a man idea. <laughs> Have you ever heard of Johnson, the son of John, Peterson, the son of Peter, Jacobson, the son of Jacob, and on and on it goes. So women have no last name, you know that? Single women have their father's last name. Married women have their husband's last name. And I know that liberals don't like this. They don't like to hear this. But this is the way God designed the order of creation. And this is, like I said, it's a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. And what every single lady is looking for is for a good man that would be willing to love her and die for her. The whole thing is initiated by establishing a personal relationship. Before you got saved, I remember those days, I didn't care, I didn't know, and I didn't care about the things of Christ. But someone witnessed to me And one day a light went on. And I learned that Christ loved me. And he was willing to die for me. That applies to every person that has come out of any background. You know, if you are saved, that's what happened to you. Talking about marriage, the Bible tells us that this is a complete mystery and nobody can explain it. How could two strangers get together, get married, and establish a relationship that will produce children and will last a lifetime. Nobody can explain that. This relationship is a picture of the church. Of the church. 
And if husbands don't love their wives the way Christ did, we just don't love her enough, you know? But this is how a lost sinner is introduced into that relationship. Someone told you about Christ, and you kept listening and coming back to the church or reading your Bible. And one day, the Holy Spirit gave you life, and you saw the need to get saved, and you bowed the knee to Christ. And now that you're saved, you have a relationship that is going to last forever. Now, going back to our text in James 126. If any man among you seems to be religious, and bridled is not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain, pure religion, and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Okay. Controlling your tongue, hopefully you do, and not deceiving yourself, hopefully you don't allow others to deceive you or deceive your own self, and visit an orphans. I don't do that. I've got to be honest, I don't. Widows, uh, very rare. In their affliction, I don't know anyone who's in affliction right now. But even if you do that, that only counts if you have a personal relationship with Christ. If you don't, you can work until you drop dead. It doesn't mean anything. And to keep yourself unspotted from the world, you can forget about that one. You're living in a sinful, wicked world, and it's impossible to avoid some of the filth to land on you. What's the remedy for all these things? Get in the book daily. Spend every available moment in the book. I always tell my, my family, you know, the most productive thing that you can do is study your Bible. Read your Bible. Confess your sins daily. Keep your accounts with the Lord short, very short. First John 1 and verse 9 reads, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As a Christian, your relationship with Christ has nothing to do with religion. Relation, religion, relation will make you free. Religion will make you a slave to sin. The founder of Christianity is the only one who laid down his life, spent three days in the grave, and came out of the tomb under his own power. No one has done that. No one else has done that. And the best news that this world has received didn't get it from CNN or MSLSD, I mean MSNBC. You know, we got him from the grave. The payment that was needed to buy me back out of the grip of Satan was paid by my Savior who loved me enough to die for me and bought me with his own blood. Point five, this is my last point. Let's talk about religion for a few minutes. The first one I need to talk about is Catholicism. So hold on to your hats. For those of you who are strong Catholics, it's going to be a little hard. But before I go on, I need to point out that I'm not attacking Catholics. We love Catholics. We have many people in this church who came out of Roman Catholicism. 
And we are very happy to know that they saw the light. So I'm not attacking Catholics. I am at exposing the, in, the institution of the Roman Catholic Church is all I'm doing. Okay? My wife is a good testimony. She came out of Roman Catholicism. And they, they, all these people will tell you that when you become a child of God coming out of a wicked institution like that, it's like a load has been lifted off your shoulders. And you now know where you're going. Any man who steps into a pulpit is a watchman with the responsibility to warn you of anyone who's going to feed you lies and put your soul in danger to the point that you will end up up in hell. We don't want that. I didn't know that the Roman Catholic Church is a hateful and wicked institution until my wife and I got saved. I didn't know that. I don't know where these people get so much energy to, to do what they do and go about destroying what God has created. There are some very devout Catholics that are very sweet people. I know some of them. But if they could kill Christians and get away with it, they would do it. And this is sad because the great majority of them don't know what they believe. They accept what the priest tells them without investigating anything. They simply trust in the system. No Catholic has assurance of salvation. That's in their doctrine. The priest will tell you that there is no way for you to know that you can go to heaven. They don't believe in the finished work of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. They don't believe that. They teach that. That is in their doctrine. John 19.30 says, it is finished. The payment that was needed was done, was completed. The Roman Catholic Church tells their members to pray to Mary and dead saints. That's an abomination. And they want these people, these dead people, to intercede for them. When a Catholic dies, which is really sad, the family is told that the soul of their loved one is in purgatory. What a travesty. There is no such a thing as purgatory. That's a big lie developed by the institution to get money from their members. While they're grieving, they're collecting money. But the most blasphemous act of the Roman Catholic Church is the Mass. Where the priest claims that he has the power to transform the bread and the wine into the literal flesh and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the people receive the bread and the wine from the priest, he tells them that they are receiving the flesh and the and the blood of Christ. And every Catholic that gets on the line to accept that says, Amen, meaning, I agree, this is the flesh and the blood of Christ, which is not. Know what you got there? You have a bunch of cannibals eating human flesh. That's what you got there. Think about this. Whatever goes into the belly eventually will end up in the sewer treatment plant. That's blasphemy. What's interesting is that 
very few Catholics question what they practice. And usually, those who question it walk away. Usually. Here are a few things to remember that will help you understand what the Roman Catholic Church is all about. This is history. You can look it up. Don't take my word for it. Write it down if you want. Anyone who's interested in knowing these things, you can, you can look it up and research it. Don't take my word for it. That is their approval of sex offenders. In many cases, when a priest is confronted with enough, a sexual offense, instead of turning him over to the authorities, he gets relocated. They approve that. The next one is their approval of ruthless dictators around the world. Here are some names that you know. I'm sure you know these names. Benito Mussolini. Have you heard that name before? He was a Roman Catholic. Do you know that? Adolf Hitler. Have you heard that name before? He was a Roman Catholic. Fidel Castro. Roman Catholic. Hugo Chavez. Know that name? Roman Catholic. Every member of the mafia around the world. Roman Catholic. I used to watch mafia movies when I was a heathen. I love those guys. They always got the job done. But that was then. This is now. Do the math and find out how many people have died at the hands of these monsters. And the Roman Catholic Church not only approves it, but protects these people. If you're interested in knowing more about this, do a Google search on something that is called Rat lines, R-A-T lines, and find out what the popes did to protect these people. Every Christian should have a copy of the book, John Fox, Book of Martyrs. You should have a copy, a copy of that book and read it over and over again as a reminder of the atrocities committed by the Roman Catholic Church against Christians and Jews around the world, which is still going on right now. I could spend many hours on this, but I need to move on. The next one is uh, Islam. What do they have to offer? Islam can't save you. Muhammad didn't offer atonement for his followers. And he's still dead, by the way. But they believe that if they blow themselves up to kill someone they hate, their reward is 72 virgins in the afterlife. But you know, it's interesting, only men get a reward, women don't get anything. What's up with that? That's just not right. And the way they make converts is not with love and compassion like we do. If you refuse to convert to their religion, they'll cut your head off or make you a slave. That's a religion that I wish not to take part with. No Muslim has assurance of salvation because Muhammad didn't do anything to reconcile men with God. Buddhism, have you heard of that one? That's an insane religion, you know. I was picking the brains of a guy that practiced that. A while ago, and he was telling me that 
they believe in a, in a type of recycle. Thing, you know, when uh, I know a little bit about recycle, I'm in the garbage business. <laughs> it's, it's nuts. You know. They believe that when you die the first time, you keep coming back in a lesser and lesser form. And depending on how, you, how good or how bad you do on your first life, you keep coming back on a smaller and smaller animal until eventually you go into a state of utopia, nirvana, whatever that means. Who believes stuff like that? Millions of people do. Now let's see what America has to offer when it comes to spiritual things. Can anything good come out of America? Spiritually speaking? Let's look at Joe Smith. You know, Mormons hate it when you say Joe. They don't like that. They want to punch you in the nose, but say Joe. Always say Joe. Joe Smith offers, offers no atonement for any Mormon. And he's still dead, by the way. Mormons teach that Jesus Christ and Satan are brothers. That's what they teach. But that's not all. They also teach that eventually you will become a god. So just keep trying. How about Mormons? Charles Taze Russell offered no atonement for any Jehovah Witness. And he's still dead, by the way. I call these people the no-hellers. Because they don't believe that there is a hell. When I see a Jehovah Witness coming to my house, I never, never turn my back on her. I open the door. They don't, they don't come into my house, but they are lost and on the way to hell, and I don't want them to go to hell, so I try to reason with them. You know, let's open the Bibles. Let's have a discussion. Let's talk about it. Let's be reasonable. No way. Jehovah Witnesses believe that there is no hell. They say that a God of compassion a God of love will never send anybody to hell. I always tell them that they're right. My God is a, is a God of love and compassion. But the love of God is only one of his many attributes. He also hates. You know, there is that other side. The God of creation is a very well-balanced God. And like I said, he has many attributes. He will never dump his children into hell, but he will dump Satan and all his children into a lake of fire. Anyone who denies that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh is an antichrist. Not the main antichrist, that one is coming, but an antichrist nonetheless. All Jehovah Witnesses who are actively promoting their religion are lost and on their way to hell because they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus is not a name that should be taken lightly because that is the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, heaven and earth will bow one day. Besides these churches that I mentioned, we have the Church of Scientology. We have the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And my favorite, the Church of Satan. Do you know that the Church of Satan was founded in San Francisco in 1966? 
If you ever wanted to know why Nancy Pelosi is about as nutty as a pecan pie, Satan has a church in her city. Of course she would be crazy. I probably missed a bunch of them, but that's, that's enough, I think, for now. All these people involved in religion are still in their sins. And what's the problem with sin? Well, sin is a crime that is committed against an infinite God. You'll never pay for whatever you do if you go out of this world without Christ. No one can make restitution for you but God. Hebrews 10 and verse 4 reads, tells us that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take sins away. Nothing can do it. Human blood is no good because it's polluted with sin and God will never accept a human sacrifice. Good works will never get you into heaven. If you are counting on your good works to go to heaven, you can forget about that one. God says that your good works are about as good as a big pile of manure. They're no good. No good. Isaiah 64, verse 6. Atonement for your sins can only be made by a perfect, sinless, righteous, holy God. And all the billions of people that have come and gone in this world, of all those people, only one meets the qualifications to save your soul. No one else does. This is why any religious system that, that denies the deity of Christ or adds or takes away from what is written in the scriptures is blasphemy. How unique is Christ? I heard a sermon from a black preacher not long ago that he, he developed a sermon that said, well, there's no one like him, he said. He keeps saying that. Good sermon. There's no one like Christ. Hundreds of thousands of little children around the world in every language sing praises to Jesus. In every worship service, we open and close singing praises to Jesus. The main, po- the main point of every worship service is to explain the scriptures so that the name of Jesus is exalted. But there are no songs for Buddha, no songs for Muhammad, no songs for Joe Smith. In this church, we have a, a, a hymnal book with over 800 songs for Jesus. There are no songs for Charles Taze Russell. They're all, get, they're all dead and they're going to stay dead. In every preaching presentation, we emphasize, we try to emphasize the urgency of your salvation. You just don't know if tomorrow you're going to be alive. And if you're not saved today, what guarantees that you'll be saved tomorrow? We don't know if tomorrow will come or not. Where you're going to spend eternity depends on your relationship with Jesus Christ. The gift of eternal life must be received in order for him to know you as his child. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave him power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You can get saved today if you're not saved. And know that you are saved. There is no religion system in the world that can give you that assurance because they don't have it. Acts 4, verse 12. Neither is there any, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
It's very exclusive, you know. First Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Can you know for sure where you're going to spend eternity? You can know that today. Sure you can. The Bible has all the answers. John 3, verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And my favorite is 1 John five thirteen. This one seals it. These things have I written unto you that believe on, this, on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I conclude with this. If you want to miss out on all the blessings of God, trust in religion. When I go to prison to preach to the boys over there, because prison, when you, when you preach in prison, it's like going to a candy store. They have every religion in the world, they have it. So I like to make my point at the end of every preaching presentation, I stick my finger out and I tell them, if you want to go to heaven, trust in religion. Anyone will do. I'm, I'm sorry, if you want to go to hell, trust in religion. Anyone will do. Doesn't matter which one you, you try. They're all sending millions of people to hell every day. But if you want to go to heaven... Trust in Jesus Christ. He is the only way. And if you don't know him, we would be happy to tell you how to get saved. It's not that hard, really. We've got men back there who will be happy to, to show you how to do that. You can become a child of God today. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for the, the privilege to preach your word. Lord, I pray for people that are here today listening. Pray for those out there who don't know you as Savior. Lord, pray that you will convict them of their sins. Lord, I pray for our pastor and his safe return. Pray for everyone who takes part in what we do here. Pray that your name will be lifted up and glorified in all that we do. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.